0: Welcome to the January 3rd sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 6 and the sermon is entitled, The Passion of Wise Men, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Beginning again next Sunday, January 10th, I'm going to jump back into my John series and I can guarantee you this, The John series will go through the great majority, if not all, of 2021. Uh, I've got a long way to go and a lot of preaching to do, but I am looking forward to getting back into John next week. But before we come back to the Gospel of John, I have another message, one more message, that kind of closes out the Christmas season, opening up the new year. Uh, One more sermon that has its roots in the Christmas story. Uh, and we're coming to the Lord's table today, and so I want to lead you in a devotional message that brings us to the table of the Lord in our own commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But I'm going to lead you in a devotional message about the wise men who came to see the Christ child. So I want you to turn with me. The only place in the Bible you will find the wise men is in Matthew chapter 2. So turn your Bible there, Matthew chapter 2. Now, of course, the principal account that we find the baby Jesus and the birth of Christ is in Luke chapter 2, and we see all the particulars uh, given to us in the gospel of Luke, but Matthew has his own uh, version of the birth of Christ, and it's quite different from Luke's version. Uh, Matthew's version of his birth does not include the census, nor does it include anything about Caesar Augustus. Matthew's version of, uh, of the birth of Christ does not include any details about uh, uh, the room in the inn and the lack thereof, the fact that the Christ child had nowhere to be born in the little town of Bethlehem. Matthew does not mention a thing about angels or shepherds in the fields. We don't see any of that in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew simply says Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Period. No frills, no further information as far as the birth that we see in Luke's gospel. But he does add something that Luke does not add that gives us a good idea about when Jesus was born. Matthew gives us a valuable time frame in that he says in the gospel, chapter 2, verse 1, that Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. Well, that gives us a time frame of when Jesus was born because Herod was ruler Uh, from 37 BC through 4 AD. So 40, 41 years Herod the king was ruler. Now let's get the government straight here in Jesus' day. Luke mentions Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the ruler of the entire Roman Empire. He is the one who could make a law as like a census and forced the entire population of the Roman Empire, the inhabited, civilized portion of the world, Caesar Augustus could make all of the inhabited world move to their home cities as Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. So Caesar Augustus was the powerful ruler of the entire Roman Empire. His word was law, and he could move the people of the entire empire. Herod the king was subservient to Uh, to Caesar Augustus. He ruled a much smaller section of the empire. He ruled the little section of Judea, 37 BC to 4 AD. Now, Herod the king was a wicked, lost, jealous man. In fact, he guarded his throne in Judea so well that he would murder his own family members who tried to get the throne away from him or who charged against him as the ruler of Judea. He was not above murdering his own family members in in order to protect his kingship in Judea. Herod the Great was a wicked man. With that bit of information, as Herod was guarding his little throne in Judea, let's look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 today, as we see the table set for, uh, for a devotion Uh, That leads us to the Lord's Supper. Hear these words then. Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod the king. Behold there came wise men from the east. To Jerusalem. Saying where is he that is born king of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east. And are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things. He was troubled Israel. Now, while the story continues on, I want to encapsulate it in these six verses for our devotion today. So, the wise men enter Scripture here. It's the only place that you will find them, but they lived in the far, far east of Bethlehem and far east of Jerusalem in Judea. Probably they lived in Persia or Babylon, what we know as Iraq or Turkey today, far east of of those holy cities. Now these men, the wise men, the magi, were not literal kings. They were revered and they were respected by their culture. They were not kings in their culture but they studied the earth and the heavens to find messages of God. Now I want you to understand exactly who the wise men are. They were not astrologers. Astrologers look at the heavens and try to divine messages out of the heavens, trying to find messages that the stars are teaching them. Astrologers are the ones who write horoscopes that I put no value in whatsoever. Wise men were not astrologers. Astrologers, now listen, this is the definition. Astrologers look for signs in the arrangement of the heavens. Wise men look for God's signs from the arranger. Of the heavens you see the difference astrologers look at the arrangement of the heavens wise men are looking at the arranger of the heavens they're looking for God's word God's signs God's messages in the heavens so these wise men these magi were seeking God with all of their heart and they were very revered within their culture Now probably through a series of nights they had witnessed this unusual star and they were beginning to interpret this star having a divine message of God. The star was in their western sky. So they lived in the east but they saw the star in the west. They came to the conclusion that a king had been born over there in the western region and they were directed by God to seek out that king and to find him. Now probably as we look at that Coming to the conclusion that they were looking for the king, we know that they had the information in their minds that a king was going to be born over in the West. How did they know that? When they saw the star, how did they interpret that that star was leading them to a king? What gave them that information? And I believe it's pretty obvious how they got the information because if you remember, there was a man who lived in Babylon. His name was Daniel. Daniel. 600 years before these moments of the Magi, the Israelites were taken captive into Babylon. Daniel was a young man at that time. He was a teenager, along with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They lived in Babylon for 70 years in captivity. And yet Daniel rose to be a governmental leader. He became very respected in Babylon, but he also was a prophet of God. And his word carried weight and you know that he carried weight even with Nebuchadnezzar uh, as, uh, as the king. But we see that Daniel lived 600 years before in Babylon, but he was a prophet of God. He wrote down the prophecy of God, and these wise men knew about it 600 years later. Let me read you a prophecy from Daniel that probably these wise men were familiar with. If you want to write this reference down or turn with me, it's Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Listen to these words from the prophet Daniel, most likely known by these magi. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. There is the message from Daniel the prophet of a king, of a Messiah, whose power would be amazing and whose kingdom would never pass away. I believe that the Magi... Over in Persia, Babylon knew those words from 600 years before from the prophet Daniel. It gave them the mindset that when they saw that star, they knew that they were to go looking for a king. So these wise men, these magi, were so enthralled by the sign of God as they saw this star in their western sky that they drop everything, whatever they do for a living, whatever they did in their culture, they dropped it. And they loaded up their camels and they took a trip going to find the king that that star represented. Now, just for fun, let me ask you, how many wise men were there? Well, Scripture doesn't tell us. Christmas cards tell us there are three. Uh, Songs sometimes tell us there are three. And, of course, we come to that conclusion because they brought three gifts, so one apiece. But many theologians, conservative theologians especially, believe that there were more than three. I believe there were more than three. There may have been a dozen. There may have been a hundred. There may have been more than that. But why do I think there were more than three? Because Scripture tells us that when this troop of wise men coming from the east get into Jerusalem, they begin asking on the streets where the king had been born. And it says that Jerusalem got stirred up, and the stirring in Jerusalem got so much that it caught Herod's attention, and he got stirred up. I don't know that three guys on the street could completely do that. So I believe there were more magi than the three. We'll find that out when we get to heaven. You might come to me in heaven and one day and say, there were only three, Mike. You say there was more than three. Well, I don't know that for sure, but that's my, that's my guess looking at Scripture today. But as we look at these wise men and this troop of wise men, magi, coming into Jerusalem, they're traveling from the east, coming westward, probably somewhere more than 500 miles. Depending on where they lived, Babylon or Persia, they were traveling somewhere between 500 and 900 miles in order to follow the star, to come to find the Messiah that had been prophesied. And they were looking at the arranger of the heavens, looking for that sign from God coming to Jerusalem. Now, of course, you know that they did not arrive on the night of Jesus' birth. While you might see Christmas cards with the shepherds and the wise men all there at the manger, that is not what the Bible says. But rather, it took them a long time to get to Jesus. He was not a newborn anymore. He was a child, but it was probably months later that the wise men came to him. So, as we look at that picture that unfolds with, for us with Scripture, there's something that's interesting that begins to unfold for me within this Scripture as well. It makes it so interesting. After weeks of grueling travel, they finally get to the vicinity of the star, they finally get to Jerusalem. And they begin asking people on the street about a newborn king and confusion starts to set out and Jerusalem as a city gets stirred up with these men asking where the king is. And old Herod, the, neck, the hairs on his neck begin to, to rise up and sweat breaks out on his brow because he begins to believe that his throne was going to be challenged by a new king. So what happens? What was Herod's first act? when he believed there was a new king maybe out there ready to take his throne. Well, Herod's first act is recorded in Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, and it says that he calls in all the learned Jewish teachers of the Bible. He calls in all of these doctors of theology who know what we know as the Old Testament, and they know it through and through. And he, it, Scripture tells us that he asks them, and he doesn't simply ask them. Scripture says that he demanded of them to know where this birth was taking place. Where will the Messiah be born? Now, the word demanded in Greek means that he did more than simply ask the question. He put them under extreme pressure. Tell me, biblically, where is the Messiah going to be born? And basically, knowing his character of being a murderer, these teachers' lives were on the line as they stood before him, and he was demanding to know where that Messiah was going to be born or where the king had been born. But these learned men of the Bible immediately know the answer. They have no qualm about where the Messiah was going to be born. They quote to him Micah chapter 5, verse 2 of the Old Testament, that the newborn king would be in Bethlehem. That's what the Bible says. That's what prophecy sets forth for us, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, I want you to take note of this. While these men had traveled a minimum of 500 miles to come to find the Messiah, Bethlehem was only five miles away from Jerusalem. In terms of the day, walking most, it was just a few steps from Jerusalem, five miles away. Now, to me, here's where an interesting, amazing situation sets up. The wise men travel some 500 plus miles on lumbering camels for weeks in all kinds of weather to come to see the Christ child. And the word that I have in my mind that pictures the wise man is the word passion. They had a passion to find where the Messiah had been born. They had a passion to see him. They had a passion to know him, to worship him, to present him with gifts. On the other hand, it seems that the Bible scholars in Jerusalem did not get excited enough to go five miles. Now, Gwen reminded me, and I think it's true, there was probably some fear if they were to travel, knowing the way King Herod felt about a new Messiah. But they had no plans whatsoever to leave Jerusalem, to travel to Bethlehem, to find the king that had been prophesied in their own Bible. They had no desire to find him. The Gospels do not give us one shred of of evidence that the preachers of Jerusalem cared enough to walk five miles to go to see the king. Here are the wise men who traveled 500 miles. The teachers of the law, the preachers of Jerusalem, wouldn't go five miles to see the king. They were comfortable. They were complacent. They had very little interest, and rather than seek their God, rather than seek the one who had prophesied the Messiah, they chose to stay home. They chose not to go. There's no evidence in the Bible that they took one step toward Bethlehem. Don't you think that's odd? That Scripture teaches us about these two groups of men who were dedicated to God. One group traveled at least 500 miles to come see Jesus. One group wouldn't walk five miles to see Jesus. One group had a passion to worship him. One group seemed like they couldn't care less about worshiping him. They had the information, but they had no charge in their heart to go visit him, to see him. Well, what does that say to us believers? As we compare these two groups, the magi and the preacher's teachers of Jerusalem, What does that say to us as we're poised to take the Lord's Supper today? Well, I think it brings you and me to a decision. It brings us to a crossroad about what we're going to do with this new year ahead of us, 2021. We don't know what lies ahead of us. I have no idea what's going to happen to masks in 2021. We don't know the future. God knows every minute of the future, amen? So we follow him. We are to follow him step by step in the ways that he leads us in this new year. And I think we step into 2021, we have to make a decision. When I come into this year, am I going to be lukewarm or am I going to be passionate about the Savior I serve, the Savior who loves me, the Savior to whom I have given my life and my heart? Will I be lukewarm or will I be passionate about the way that I worship him and love him in this year to come? Lukewarm people, are very content to be sporadic about church. Lukewarm people are content to skip reading the Bible. Don't worry too much about prayer. Get around to it when I can. But they skip it very easily. Lukewarm people say, let somebody else do the ministry of the church. I'm comfortable with where I'm sitting right now. I'm comfortable with not being a part of the ministry of the church. That's lukewarm when you don't care about the ministry of the church so that somebody else will have to take your place. Lukewarm people are content to be comfortable. I'll see Jesus another time. I'll do ministry another time, another day. But right now, I'm not going to walk to do that. Will we walk into 2021 rather as passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ? People who want to worship Him. People who desire to follow the footsteps of Jesus wherever He would take us. We'll follow His will, even when it calls us into sacrifice. Even when it calls us to step out of our comfort box and our comfort zone, to step out and do something that we've never done for Him before. Will we be ready and willing to sacrifice in some way for Him in this year to come? To do something for him that he calls us to that we've never done before. Will we be willing to take that on? Will we step into that task? People of passion will live for Jesus Christ in public. It's easy to live for him here. It's easy to live for him in the bubble of God's people. But the question is, will we live for him out there in the real world where the lost people are? Will we live for him out there as a representative and as a witness so others can come to know Jesus through our lives, through our witness, through our testimony? That's passion. When we're willing to take Jesus into our world, our work world, our school world, our social world, will we take Jesus with us? That's passion. That's willingness to serve him no matter what. Will we travel the extra mile to do what he calls us to do? The Magi traveled the extra miles to find the Christ. Will we travel the extra mile, as Jesus said, that we might be a minister for him? Will we be active in reaching others? I ask that individually as Christians here, as believers here, but will we be active as a church, as the body of Christ, to reach the lost? That's why God has planted us here that we might be the outreach arm of Jesus Christ into a world to reach the lost. If we lose that as a goal of the church, we've lost our passion as the church. We're here to reach our community, to reach our world, that they may know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see, the, the story of the wise men is not just this cute little story that's inserted in the world about a, about a group of guys who bring presents to Jesus. If that's the way you viewed the wise men, you've wasted the word. But God has allowed this account of the wise men to be inserted into his word to show us the passion of following Jesus Christ at all cost. This is the earliest example of that passion to come to him, to find him, to know him, to worship him. So, as we look at the wise men, we're looking at men who have a passion for Christ, and That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. Look, the Lord's Supper really has two sides to it. First of all, we acknowledge in thanksgiving that Jesus had a passion to save us. Jesus Christ laid aside His robes of glory in heaven. He emptied Himself of that glory, and He stepped down to this old, sinful, dirty earth And he was born and laid in a manger, and he lived 33 years as the perfect sinless lamb of God, and he went to the cross and shed his blood and his body broken for us that we might be forgiven of our sin. He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and he rose from the grave on the third day that we might be promised eternal life. Jesus had a passion for you and me to save us, to love us, to keep us, but the question now is posed to us by the Lord's Supper. Do we have a passion for him? Will we give our all for him? Will we lay down our will and take up his will? Will we follow in the footsteps of Christ every day of this year to come? The Lord's Supper brings us to the point of saying, Lord, I will worship you, I will serve you, I will represent you above all else in this world. In 2021, I will belong to you, and I will be your witness, and I will be your representative in this world. The Lord's Supper brings us to that commitment as we celebrate in just a few moments. We'll be challenged with that commitment. I'm not challenging you. I'm challenging us. And I'm right along with you in that. But before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I have an invitation. This invitation needs to be spoken before every group I stand with. And the invitation is this. If you are here in this sanctuary today, or you're streaming with us today, Or you're in a parking lot listening on an FM signal and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You've never opened up your heart to him and said, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came for me with a passion to save me and love me. I believe that you were born in the manger for me. I believe that you went to the cross for me. I believe that you rose from a grave for me. And so, Lord, because you have a passion for me, I accept you as my Savior. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you everything I have that you might take me and use me in your kingdom's work as your child. And one day I will live with you for all eternity. Lord, I just lay it in front of you. Thank you that you've taken my sin and my guilt off my shoulders and you've given me life. And now I want to give you my life in return that I will serve you and honor you and love you through every day that you give me. Today, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, will you come and will you publicly say, I need to give my life to the Savior Jesus Christ. I open my heart and I allow you Lord to take up residence in me and I want you to have the throne of my heart and the throne of my life that I might love you and serve you and live for you. If you've never done that before today is that opportunity this is his invitation that you come to him. Believers will today we rededicate our lives to giving this year to him. Standing here on January 3rd will we give our lives to him as we serve Him and love Him and worship Him in this year to come. Will you be the minister that He has called you to be? Will you live the plan that He's put forth for your life? Will you rededicate your life to that? Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, as we meet at the Lord's table this morning, Lord, if there's one person in this sanctuary or streaming or in a parking lot who's never given his or her life to Jesus, I pray this is the moment, Lord that he or she just opens their heart and says Lord thank you that you love me so much that with a passion you came to save me you laid aside your comforts and your authority in heaven to come to this dirty old earth of sin and to come finding me a lost sheep here thank you that you went to the cross and you bled and you died that I might be forgiven of my sin you took my place there thank you that you rose from the grave that you have promised I will have eternal life with you Today, lord i believe that and with an open heart and with thanksgiving i come to receive you as my savior i pray one person today will surrender to jesus as lord and savior for we who are believers standing on the brink of a brand new year lord i know it's symbolic in that uh, we live time but thank you for a new year i pray that we will dedicate this year to you as believers individually Lord that we will say Lord today I I make that commitment to you I want to live for you this year and I want to live in such a way that my life leads other people to Jesus help me father to do that I'm not perfect just speak through me Lord forgive me and speak through me I make that prayer for myself I make it for my brothers and sisters and I make a prayer for the church corporately in general Lord that we as a church will represent Jesus in this community and in this world that we will continue to preach and live the gospel of Jesus Christ that the lost might be saved that those who are bound for hell might be turned around to come to heaven through Jesus as Lord and Savior help us Father be those ministers as a church church home, healing, whatever the need is in these brief moments Lord bless us we pray in Jesus name